Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I am Rachel. My pronouns are they, them. And once again, I cried while watching wrestling matches for this episode. And I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Today, we bring you the second part of our Mario Ken two-parter, which is the first installment in our series on pro rivalries. In this part, we discuss some of the toughest moments in the history of pro wrestling Noah and how both Marafuji and Kenta persevered together through injury and hardships to immortalize one of the most iconic rivalries of all time. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to Maruken Part 2. Last episode, we covered Naomichi Marafuji and Kenta's beginnings in the All Japan Dojo, their transition to pro wrestling Noah in 2000, the Maruken tag era that started to shake the foundations of the industry, and the genesis of their rivalry that formed at the end of Kenta's seven-match trial series. We walked through their singles matches all the way through to 2008, culminating in their title v. title 60-minute draw in the Budokan with Marafuji walking in as the All Japan World Junior Heavyweight Champion and Kenta walking in as the GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion, set against the backdrop of the dark age of Parasu. If you have not listened to part one, please go back and do that before starting this episode because everything we talk about in part one will inform what we discuss in part two. For this episode, our primary sources are three issues of Shukan Parasu, issues number 1480 from July 15, 2009, 1641 from August 8, 2012, and 1975 from September 19, 2018. Rachel was able to do the translating for these articles, and I am so grateful for them. So thank you once again, Rachel. It was my pleasure. We are picking back up in 2009, which I'll warn you now, and as many of you already know, is an incredibly heavy year for these two. Coming off of their draw, Marafuji held the world junior title for three more successful defenses against Chuji Kondo, Tsuyoshi Kikuchi, and Nosawa Rangai before he dropped it to Kaz Hayashi in Quirken Hall on February 6, 2009. Kenta held the GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship for two more successful defenses against Eddie Edwards and Kotaro Suzuki before dropping the title to Katsuhiko Nakajima on February 11th in Quirken Hall, five days after Marafuji lost his title. During a match on March 3rd in different Ariaki that saw Marafuji and Akihiko Ito versus Katsuhiko Nakajima and Naoki Tenazaki, there was an accident during a pile driver and Marafuji suffered a significant knee injury. He had an MRI done on March 12th and it wound up being an ACL tear in his right knee. He had a two-hour surgery to repair the tear on April 9th, but this injury was so significant that it required him to be out for many, many months to heal and recuperate. He would return to Noah on their December 6, 2009 show in the Nippon Budokan in a singles match against Aotsushi Aoki, which Marafuji won. Aoki was at the tail end of his 10-match trial series. He was supposed to face Nakajima that night, but Katsuhiko was pulled due to his own injury so Marafuji made his return as Aoki's ninth trial opponent. Kenta on that same show, the March 3rd one in Differ Ariaki, had a much better night than poor Marafuji-san. He challenged Katsuhiko Nakajima, who had taken the GHC Junior from him back in February, and became a three-time GHC Junior heavyweight champion. You should go well out of your way to watch any Nakajima-Kenta match you can get your hands on. Perhaps their rivalry is a story for a different time. Hmm, perhaps perhaps 
But at any rate, this is another long reign for Kenta, though not as long as his first. He holds the title for 243 days, spanning from March through October 2009, and has successful defenses against Davey Richards in America through Ring of Honor, Ricky Marvin, and Atsushi Aoki. Unfortunately, during a match against Kotaro Suzuki as part of the first ever Junior Heavyweight League, which is now known as Junior Global League, on October 28th, Kenta gets really hurt and everyone knows it's bad right away. He's up on Kotaro's shoulders, comes down, and can't put pressure on the leg. He just buckles on him immediately. It's almost strange in that a transition that doesn't seem as significant as other spots in the match is ultimately the thing that causes the damage. He rolls to the outside of the ring and is immediately attended to. You can watch this match, but be forewarned that the ending with Kenta in a significant amount of pain and Kotaro being visibly upset is difficult to watch. Kenta tore his right ACL and damaged his lateral meniscus, so on October 31st, he vacated the GHC Junior Heavyweight title due to the fact he would need many months to heal and recover. He had surgery on November 26th to repair the tear. I do want to say that this awful way to end his third reign with the GHC Jr. aside, a notable 2009 accomplishment for Kenta is that he did get to hold his first Purdue show called Crossroad. In the main event on May 17th in Different Ariake, Kenta faced Jun Akiyama in an outstanding match. It was Kenta's second time facing Jun in a singles match and to date his last. His Purdue show was in Differ Ariake? Mm-hmm. That's really impressive. That really speaks towards uh, Kenta's Kenta's pull. Yeah, absolutely. Now, these episodes are about Maru Ken and their rivalry, but it's actually impossible to discuss their rivalry and not talk about the sudden and tragic passing of Noah's founder, Mitsuharu Misawa. Misawa tragically and unexpectedly passed away on June 13, 2009, following a tag match at 46 years old. Everything changes for pro wrestling Noah after Misawa's passing, and there is not one person who was on the roster at the time that wasn't affected by everything that happened and continues to be to this day. However, I want to discuss how Misawa's passing directly affected Marafuji because his life and the course of his career changed effectively overnight. When the tour Noah was on concluded, meetings with the board were held to determine the new management of the company, and a power struggle ensued. Rachel translated an article titled, What Will Happen to Noah? Akira Tawe Expected to Become New President and High Expectations for Mara Fuji, Who Inherits Misawaism. And this is from issue number 1480. This article was written before the final results of Noah's board meetings, but there are some interesting comments from Noah personnel that seem to hint strongly at why Mara Fuji would have been chosen to be a vice president at 29 years old with more limited experience. General manager of NOAA at the time, Ryu Nakata, said, President Misawa was the same, but people who are at the top of their game are born with exceptional qualities. The rest of us are second or third best, no matter how hard we try. When someone overestimates themselves, mistakes happen. I know I am not a top-rate person. Now that the president is gone, I think it is time for the old people, including myself, to step aside. I think we need to leave it to the younger generation and support them from the side. We need to take a step outside and support Noah while still being able to work on our own. If the old people keep holding on, the young people who have to lead Noah in the future will be lost. The author of the article, who is not named, goes on to say, The person I would like to see selected as a symbolic figure in the new structure is now Michi Marafuji. Of course, it is the shareholders who have the authority to make decisions, and this is a matter of wishful thinking. But Marafuji's presence should be indispensable as one of the people who will most strongly carry on Misawaism. However, when I remembered the words of General Manager Nakata, and this is a quote, a person who stands at the top is born with such qualities. 
Marufuji was the first person who came to my mind as the successor to Mitsuharu Misawa. If you think about the future of NOAA, I hope that Marufuji will be selected as a member of the executive class at this point in time. More than a hope, it is a good bet that Marufuji will hold an important post in the new organization. Marufuji is quoted as saying, Misawa-san is the first, in quotes, adult I have come into contact with in society. I saw him up close and personal as I was growing into an adult myself. I am sure that his spirit has been passed on to me. The author goes on to say, this was strongly impressed upon me when I asked him for a memorial comment. In all of his words, I could sense his awareness of his responsibility to lead Noah. The following are Marufuji's words in the Mitsuharu Misawa memorial issue. If the players and staff really care about Misawa, we must protect Noah even if we have to fight and clash with each other, and we must not repeat the past. There are many hard-headed people, many people with different opinions, many people with old ways of thinking. I don't think new ideas alone will work, but if we really care about Misawa-san, we have to reunite. To be frank, there are many things that connected us because of Misawa-san. We must strengthen our own determination, not be torn apart by his disappearance. Yes, there are many hard-headed people, but I think it may be my mission to soften their heads. I love Mitsuharu Misawa, I love wrestling, and I love Noah, so I will do it even if I have to clash with my superiors. I don't think I will become someone who just follows the rules. I hope that everyone will not run away from the struggle if you want to protect Noah. Now, after a shareholders meeting on July 5th, 2009, final decisions were made. Misawa had intended to groom Marafuji to take his role as president, but this was for well into the future, and they thought they had more time. In the event that Marafuji was not ready to take the presidency, Misawa had intended for Tawei to take the role, which is what the board decides on. But Marafuji is made a vice president alongside Kenta Kobashi, so they serve as co-vice presidents. These appointments are the result of a power struggle that occurred within NOAA's board of directors, like I mentioned before, which resulted in former vice president Mitsuo Momoda resigning from the company. We found the article that Rachel translated really interesting because it fell before these decisions were made, refers to youth needing to lead the company forward in the wake of Misawa's passing, and really comes across as what we would describe in our own words as a political tool to help Marafuji come into his role as vice president. That's purely speculation, but we thought it was really fascinating. And it does really check out. Uh, when you had mentioned that, I started to think about it and started to think about just sort of how um, the politics tend to work with journalism and especially how I've seen it work with, um, well, I'll be frank with like Keno's use of shoe pro and things like that. And he's, um, he has, you know, used shoe pro as an opinion piece to um, elicit change in the company and in the audience. And so you sort of see that kind of here as well. So I, I could definitely believe that this is an editorial in hopes of getting things done in the way of Marafuji. But again, that is all speculation. It's just very interesting. You should bring that up. There's also a quote from Kenda during this time period that I will share that I think just sheds a light on the amount of uncertainty that faced this company and everyone in it at that time. There was so much change happening and Kenda's comments really hit on that, I think. In July, after Marafuji's appointment to vice president, he said, I can usually joke with Marafuji-san, and he's easy to talk to, but when I see the name Vice President Marafuji in his handwriting, there was a part of me that was a little put off. Keep in mind that Marafuji was out on injury when Misawa passed away, so he and Kenta hadn't even really seen each other until Misawa's passing brought Marafuji back to deal with everything going on in the office while still recovering from that knee injury. As I mentioned, Marafuji's life and career trajectory changed dramatically from here. 
While he might have always been destined for the role he is in now, having to prioritize the needs of the company in the face of so much turmoil between losing Misawa and the promotion being in a bad place financially meant things could never really just be about Marafuji in the same way ever again. His story really does become one of sacrifice. I've talked about this on I Am Noah, and I think even more explicitly in a thread on my Twitter account after he won the GHC Heavy for the fourth time in June 2021, but his dual roles as management and wrestler put him in this position where he's still performing, but he has to prioritize the needs of Noah, the needs of everyone around him, and what will ultimately keep the arc afloat. His role as vice president, as I hinted at in part one, also becomes part of his and Kenta's rivalry as we move into the brave and no mercy era of Noah. And I want to share a quote translated by Metal0515 on Twitter in 2021 on why Marafuji chose to stay in Noah over the years, even when things got really bad and he could have chosen to be a freelancer and perform elsewhere. Marafuji said, it's because of Misawa-san and the fans. After he passed away, I felt like I received an invisible baton. That is the reason why I have continued. I couldn't imagine myself calling myself anything other than Marafuji of Noah. That all being said, let's talk about the final, as of now, five Maruken singles matches in their series. As I noted before, Kenta goes out with his knee injury at the very end of October 2009, and Marafuji returns in December. Because of the timing of their knee injuries, they wind up not having a ton of ring time with each other from around March 2009 when Marafuji went out until June 2010 when Kenta returns from his injury. After his return match in December, Marafuji participated in New Japan Super J Cup, defeating Jushin Thunder Liger, Ryusuke Taguchi, Tiger Mask, and Prince Devitt in the finals on December 23, 2009 in Corican Hall to win the tournament. This earned him a title shot against the champion at the time, Tiger Mask. On January 4, 2010, at New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom card in the Tokyo Dome, Marafuji became IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion for the first and only time in his career. With that win, he became the first person to win all three major junior titles in Parasu, so the GHC Junior, the AJPW World Junior, and the IWGP Junior. Minoru Tanaka is the second and only other person to have done so since. Being IWGP champion became a dominant part of Marafuji's 2010, of course, and he was still IWGP champion when Kenta returned from injury for their 11th singles match on June 6, 2010 in Corrigan Hall. This was made a number one contendership match for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship, with Kanemaru holding the title at the time. As you can imagine, there is a lot of anticipation for this match because it's a Maruken singles match. They both had to come through these difficult knee injuries, and Kenta never lost the GHC Junior title before he went out on injury. That's why Kenta can walk into a number one contenders match upon returning, so there's that air of Kenta never really lost the belt going into this one, while you have Marafuji continuing to strengthen ties in the industry and break new ground for himself. There are no tags leading up to this match either. The first time Kent is back in a ring after his layoff is that number one contenders match. Marafuji gets a great reaction from the Korokin crowd, but of course the crowd is ready to embrace Kenta. Akiyama-san is on commentary for this match. These two bring the intensity right away with a series of nasty kicks and forearms that leave them at a stalemate and a stare down. Kenta's kicks are blistering and he seems intent to prove his knee is 100% after this layoff, but Marafuji wastes no time in landing some of his kicks right into Kenta's knee all the same. 
Marafuji drives Kenta's knee into the apron and ties Kenta up in the barricade to land some more kicks to that wrapped knee. Marafuji is so good at this strategy. We've seen him isolate different body parts to wear Kenta down before, and he stays on that knee, working Kenta over in different holds and putting pressure on it any way that he can. Kenta gets in a diving lariat off the top turnbuckle and lands a sick jumping kick to Marafuji hanging on the turnbuckle from the outside, followed by his famous corner kicks and a Busai Kuni. Marafuji breaks Kenta's momentum with a drop kick out of almost literally nowhere. It's so impressive looking. They go to each other into a slap battle and Marafuji returns to kicking Kenta's knee before Kenta catches a leg and brings him down for what looks like game over before he transitions into a stretch submission. Marafuji hits a corner-to-corner drop kick to Kenta trapped in a tree of woe and immediately lands a Shuranui. Kenta hits a beautiful tiger suplex followed by a go-to-sleep that has the crowd losing their minds. The crowd has dual chance of Marafuji and Kenta going at this point. Marafuji takes control with a kick straight to Kenta's head before defeating Kenta with a tiger flosion at 26 minutes and 51 seconds to become the number one contender for the GHG Junior Heavyweight Championship. After the match, Marafuji shakes Kenta's hand, who doesn't seem nearly as committed to the gesture as Marafuji, and pays Kenta quite a bit of respect by leaving him in the ring alone to have that time with the audience, despite the fact that Kenta did not win the match. Before he walks backstage, Marafuji grabs the mic and says, hey bastard, welcome back, which pops the crowd big time. Kenta limps off with the help of Taiji Ishimori after bowing to each section of the audience. This little moment between them is exactly their dynamic to a T. It's an interesting match for them, and it comes at a time when they've both had these long layoffs and we're dealing with the passing of Misawa. I would say that it's a good match, but perhaps not to the same caliber and overall intensity as their previous matches. However, I still enjoy this match immensely, and I wouldn't recommend skipping it because, of course, all of the matches when strung together tell their story. Yeah, I really like this match. I thought it was, um, like, like you said, it was good, if not, you know, great. I've been watching them all at once so um it's easy to sort of get into that trap of comparing like well this one's not as good and this one's not as intense here and there or they did this move better but no it it is a really really good match and I actually if I didn't know the result and I did know the result but at one point during the match I started to think that it might have been a draw (laughs) and that I had remembered it wrong because they were they were getting to that point um probably towards the end where they were getting to those final exchanges and I was wondering if they would like pull this out for another five minutes to get it to a draw even though I knew the result and I think that's probably the mark of a really good match is when you sort of spend your disbelief or you already know the result and and decide to just believe something else. And that's that's a pretty cool feeling. On our road to the next singles match, Marafuji dropped the IWGP Junior on June 19, 2010 at New Japan's Dominion against Prince Devitt in Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium. He held the belt for 166 days and racked up five successful defenses before the title change. He challenged Yoshinobu Kanemaru for the GHC Junior as number one contender on July 10th at Ariaki Coliseum, but fell short and was defeated by Kanemaru. Unfortunately, we still have to cover a few significant injuries between them in this period. On July 25th in Ryogoku Kobikikan as part of DDT's Peter Pan event, Marafuji had a singles match with Kenny Omega, and there was an accident involving a turnbuckle spot that caused an injury to Marafuji's arm. I've seen this injury written out two different ways, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation regardless, but I believe osteoarthritis cervical radiculopathy is the correct diagnosis. Cervical radiculopathy refers to pinched nerves. When that accident occurred, Marafuji lost control of that arm, and it looks just terrifying. 
this is an injury that affects him to this day. And he's fairly candid about it and what it's like to live with it on his private follow me account. But I can recall another public interview in recent memory where he's talked about it as well. He has to do physical therapy every month to have any function in the arm. And it's a lot better today than it was before he started the physical therapy. That being said, this injury forces him to take time off to heal. So he is pulled from the 2010 G1 Climax, which was a few weeks from starting when he was hurt. So another heartbreaking setback for Marafuji. Kenta's 2010 highlights include a GHT Junior title challenge against Kanemaru on September 26th in the Nippon Budokan, but he was unsuccessful. He and Atsushi Aoki also participated as a team in the Nippon TV Cup Junior Heavyweight Tag League, now known as Global Junior Heavyweight Tag League, and defeated the team of Eddie Edwards and Roderick Strong on October 30th in Corken Hall to win the tournament. However, they failed to capture the GHG Junior Heavyweight titles from Koji Kanemoto and Tiger Mask on November 23rd in Corrigan Hall, which will become important again in a few moments. 2010 would bring us the 12th Maruken match in their series before the year was out when Marafuji returned from healing his arm injury on December 5th at the Johaguchi Memorial Show in the Nippon Budokan. This is going to become a weirdly common theme of the second half of their rivalry, unfortunately, one returning from an injury to face the other. It does speak to the gravity of the rivalry that this is where Noah goes when these two have these unfortunately long layovers when they're out recovering. The best way to bring them back and get people talking is to get them in front of each other again. Marafuji is in black and silver gear and Kenta is still in the chocolate banana shorts. We're still in that era. This match is the first time Marafuji does not come out in the Phoenix mask. As is tradition at this point, the match begins with a lot of nasty kicks and forearms, one of the first big spots happens on the outside when Marafuji brings Kenta's neck and back, crashing down on that ring apron. Kenta hits a gross-looking DDT on Marafuji. Nishinaga is having a time getting Kenta to follow the rules, and we get a nice camera pan to Sagira, who is watching the match from over by Joe Higuchi's hung portrait. Mm. Kenta smashes Marafuji with a lariat. On the outside, Kenta gets sent over the barricade, and Marafuji hits a perfect quebrada to the outside, a recreation of the spot they ran in October 2006 and 2008. Marafuji hits a corner-to-corner -corner drop kick in Shiranui. Kenta hits one of his corner drop kicks to Marafuji in the Tree of Woe, and they immediately transition into a crazy-looking avalanche tiger suplex. Kenta hits a diving double foot stomp and a tiger suplex. Kenta finishes Marafuji off with a series of kicks before landing the go to sleep in 19 minutes and 9 seconds. Post-match, Kenta does pat Marafuji on the chest, but he looks to quickly leave, almost like an echo of what Marafuji did for him when he returned from injury in the summer. He gestures for Aoki, who had been his tag partner, to leave with him, and Aoki chooses not to. He says he wants to partner with Marafuji instead. Aoki pointedly shakes Marafuji's hand while Marafuji is laying selling in the middle of the ring. <laughs> Kenta walks back down the ramp alone after one last look at Aoki speaking to him on the mic from the ring. This angle is really compelling because we've talked about Kenta as a character being a lone figure in Noah before in our episodes, I Am Noah, and I believe we touch on this as well in Noah Factions. We mentioned in part one of Maruken that conversation between Marufuji and Kenta before Destiny in 2005 when Kenta tells Marufuji, I'll go at it alone. You really get the weight of that comment here, watching Kenta's back as he walks up the ramp totally alone once again. It's such a striking image, 
and an integral piece of the road he walked in Noah as he wound his way towards his ultimate goal, the GHC Heavyweight Championship. We're on the cusp of that No Mercy Brave era I keep referencing, and moments like this will really serve to illustrate the stark differences in Kenta and Marafuji's pro wrestling ideologies that we discussed in part one as well. Yeah, and a lot of the commentary on this match was all about bringing the tag belts home from um, the New Japan pair. So, and I had discussed this with you, is that I find it really interesting that the plot of this match was built around the tag belts rather than around any singles opportunity. But Kenta sort of morphs it into a singles moment at the end, if that makes sense, is that he is taking his own road. Like you said, it's, um, and that quote is, I'll go at it alone, is that the best way to, and I had said this to you, the best way to sort of depict this loner choosing to be alone is by centering this match around a tag belt. I thought that was really inspired and really interesting that they would have that angle with Aoki at the end to sort of depict where Kenta is in his life and the crossroads he is at. I just thought it was a really interesting choice and a very unique spin on this match. Nothing underscores that more, to your point, than on December 24th, Aoki and Marafuji did go on to beat Koji Kanemoto and Tiger Mask to become the GHG Junior Heavyweight Tag Champions and bring those belts home, which is what you reference commentary saying, is that those belts needed to be brought home, and that's what Kenta and Aoki failed to do together. So there is really something to be said for that, and I think it really does play a big role and what happens next for not just Kenta, but really for all of them, because we really get into the faction warfare of um, this era of Noah that is just so fucking fun, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's your favorite, isn't it? It is my favorite. Yeah. I love it. It's my favorite. An interesting aside is that on December 12th in Kawasaki Plaza, Seoul, Kenta and Marafuji reunited as a tag team to face Masao Inoue and Genba at Masao's Purdue show, which is really interesting. It's this like weird like continuity breaker in the middle of all of this drama around Aoki and Marafuji and Kenta and the junior belts. Yeah, it is, the timing there is really interesting. But uh, yeah, Purdue shows are so fascinating for that reason. They either enhance kayfabe or completely break it. And there's absolutely no in, in between there. For the 13th singles match in Maroken series, we have to jump ahead into 2012. But by July 2012, we've already entered the No Mercy and Brave era of Noah. You heard us discuss so much of how these factions formed on episode 16 of Kickout, Noah Factions. So I recommend checking that episode out if you haven't already, but I'll do a recap for you here as well. Following the disillusionment of his tag team with Aoki at the end of 2010, Kenta spent some time tagging with different partners in the first few weeks of 2011 before joining the quasi-heel faction Disobey, which was made up of Muhammad Yone, Yoshinobu Kanamaru, and Genba Hironagi at the time. He betrayed partners Goshiyazaki and Yoshinari Ogawa in a tag match against Yone, Genba, and Kanamaru at Korokan Hall on January 29th by attacking them and causing a disqualification. He shook hands with Kanamaru and embraced him, Yone, and Gunba. In the ring, he said, this is the beginning of a new disobedience. Backstage afterward, Kenta referenced these quote-unquote conditions that had apparently been discussed between him and Kanamaru prior to him joining Disobey, but it remained unclear what those were and what exactly anyone had agreed to. 
It turns out that those conditions were kicking Yone out of disobey on March 5th during a tag match at Ariaki Coliseum versus Kensuke office. Kenta attacked Yone with a chair and Genba and Kanamaru joined in. Post-match, Genba announced that Disobey was done and their new faction would be called No Mercy with Kenta as their new leader. No Mercy began to establish themselves as an anti-establishment faction within NOAA and Kenta took umbrage specifically with NOAA's management and the direction the company was moving in, but specifically with people like former general manager Ryu Nakata. And once No Mercy moved on from their program with Yone, Kenta announced he had a new toy in mind. As we talked about on Noah Factions, this turned out to be none other than Naomichi Marafuji. Why? Because he's a vice president of Noah, and Kenta had grievances with the direction the company is going in. And they can use that shoot aspect of Marafuji's career perfectly in this stage of their rivalry. Marafuji represents something different than he did when their rivalry began. He represents the company very tangibly now and has inherited Misawaism in a very direct way. Marafuji has become that symbol of the arc, and Kenta is the antithesis of him inherently. While Marafuji has had to look to the bigger picture in his role, Kenta has continued down his path, which is set on his goals for himself. In the background of all of this, you still have Marafuji and Kenta struggling to be at heavyweight full-time, especially Kenta, so there's a lot of different things at play at the start of this era. I also can't stress enough what Kenta's popularity was like at this time, which had continued to rise exponentially despite the decrease in interest in Noah as a company overall, and Kenta's start and stop booking. He feels like he is on the cusp of greatness in a way that no one else does, and like Marafuji has always done in the past within this rivalry, he was there to tell you that Kenta was the strongest or the best wrestler in the world, which we will return to momentarily. Unfortunately, Kenta and Marafuji don't immediately get the opportunity to start their program because Marafuji experiences some issues with his already existent arm injury after a tag match in April and winds up out again until November 27, 2011. He has to return the junior tag belts he held with Aoki. Sugira and Marafuji had a singles match at Ariaki Coliseum as Marafuji's return match. Sugira won, and afterward he called for a revival of their tag team. Marafuji ultimately accepted, and starting with their December 11th match against Taiji Ishimori and Takeshi Morishima, their tag team reunion, their first run with the GHC Heavy Belts had been in 2007, became official. Taiji Ishimori and Yone would eventually join, and the faction would get their name, Brave, by fan vote in April of 2012. You also have Kenta getting injured in December 2011, not long after his match against Go Shiyazaki for the GHC Heavyweight Championship that took place on November 27th, and he couldn't wrestle for several months. He ruptured his left ACL and had surgery to repair the knee on December 27th. This is such a frustrating time for both of them when it comes to their injuries. It's a bit of career purgatory for both of them, and there's nothing they can do but ride these setbacks out. Yeah, it's just frustrating to think about. And you would describe them like two ships passing in the night, but it really just, it, it is that. Like they're just constantly missing each other. And it's just so frustrating to think about for their perspective and honestly for the fans' perspective too. Absolutely. We get the 13th Marokan match as another comeback match, but this time for Kenta. It's set for July 22nd, 2012 in Ryogoku Kogikan. You can cut the tension in the air between these two with a knife. It's so palpable. Their clashing ideologies and opposing factions are taking center stage here. Kenta is in the blue fang gear, and Marafuji is in the red, black, and gold phoenix gear with a new type of mask. When they're staring each other down before the match begins, you can see Kenta listening for the crowd to get behind him. The crowd support is so important to him after another long layoff. 
after some additional posturing and stare downs, Kenta lays into Marafuji with kicks and they go to the outside. Marafuji drives Kenta's newly healed knee into the apron. Kenta hits a diving lariat. Marafuji drives Kenta's head into the mat and lands a kick to the face. Kenta utilizes his tornado stun gun DDT in the corner and attempts a swan dive missile kick, but Marafuji cuts him off with a drop kick. They brutalize each other on the outside, and Shunashinaga protests this. Kenta hits an insane diving double foot stomp to Marafuji, hanging over the barricade from the apron, which Marafuji sells in this like really scary way. Marafuji continues to target Kenta's knee, and Kenta is so brutal. He just throws Marafuji headfirst into the ring post at one point and continues to target the neck and head of Marafuji with DDTs. Marafuji sets up the corner-to-corner drop kick but misses. Kenta lands a diving double foot stomp to Marafuji's back and then hits to go to sleep. Marafuji recovers, hits a Shuranui, but Kenta capitalizes with the transition into game over. Marafuji escapes and lands a series of kicks that stun Kenta before he hits a tiger flosion to defeat Kenta in 16 minutes and 20 seconds. This match is a banger. Like it is just a banger. It's it's really quick. It's really short. And you shouldn't just watch one of these matches. If you're listening to this, you need to watch them all. You just do. But uh, if you are really, really, really short on time, please just turn this one on because it, it is just a really brutal match. And they are just really like the, the tension is just incredible here. And you can really tell that extra level to the story that they're they're adding in there with the um ideology clash it, it's just it's a great match i would say that this is their most underrated match too this is it really for me it is i think the two 2010 matches and the 2012 match are often overlooked because they fall into an era of noah that is often criticized for booking Mm. issues and attendance issues and all kinds of other issues that are out of the wrestler's control. So I think that these are the three matches that people often don't watch at all. However, of the three, I really, really love this one, actually. There's something about this one that is really striking to me. I think a lot of it is that tension that they bring because this is like, I would say this, and then you have aspects of it in the next match we'll talk about. This is them at their most heated with each other because of that tension between the factions. And that's like really a fascinating component of their rivalry, I think. But yeah, I I do, I do really, really love this one. And I think um, nothing, you know, illustrates that tension more than post-match Marafuji who at this point everyone knows is is normally one for big shows of respect with Kenta. Mm. He doesn't give that here. He just looks mad. He rips his arm out of Nishinaga's hand when Nishinaga goes to raise it, which is so uncharacteristic of him. On his way back up the entrance ramp, he gestures as if to tell Kenta to bring the fight to him again. And then he walks off. Rachel translated an article from Sato covering the match in issue number 1641 of Shoe Pro, and I'm going to read some sections from it because I think Sato's observations paint a really good picture of Kenta's impact on Noah at that time, but also Marafuji's role in their rivalry during this era as well. The headline reads, Marafuji on Kenta's comeback match. The quote is, I might have won today, but he was stronger. When all the lineups for the day were read out before the tournament started, the seventh match before the intermission, Kenta's return match drew the loudest cheers. Kenta versus Daumichi Marafuji was the center of attention and a match that is always sure to please the crowd. It was his first fight back in seven months after overcoming a torn ACL in his left knee. When I was informed last December that Kenta would be out for a long time, I felt nothing but despair. 
At the time, Kenta was pushing for change within Noah. Although he failed to challenge for the heavyweight title, he was still a strong force of appeal in a different position from that of the champion. The magazine's Noah coverage was different without Kenta's presence. The absence of Kenta, who had given us stimulating words one after another, was like losing one of our trump cards. Seven months later, Kenta finally returned. Although he had changed his hair back to dark brown, it was silver before his absence, his fan service at the entrance where he signed his t-shirt and threw it into the audience, and his costume had not changed at all from the time before his absence. This may be a sign of Kenta's desire to restart the Kenta revolution. Kenta vs. Marfuji is a major brand name in modern Noah, so much so that they were chosen as one of the best bouts of the pro wrestling awards. Marfuji and Kenta both seemed to feel some unease at the fact that they were using this event as a stage for Kenta's return to the ring. The only thing that made the day feel like a comeback fight was Marfuji's attack on Kenta's left knee before the start of the fight. In fact, I felt that Marfuji's technical skills had evolved even further. Kenta caught Marafuji from the bottom with the game over as Marafuji went for the cover from Shirt Nui. Marafuji must have meant it when he said after the match, he was stronger than me. Despite the defeat, the revolutionary fighter returned to the ring. I will never leave the ring again, Kenta said, his eyes looking only ahead. I love that write-up. It was really good. And, mm-hmm. um, we, we've sort of talked about this, is that Sato and then Inoue, who we'll talk about in a little bit, do a lot of the Noah coverage in the Shoe Pros. And uh, I thought it was just very funny that Sato was sort of just very despaired by the absence of Kenta because Kenta gives them things to write about. And uh, that that really speaks towards Kenta's role in the company and um, how he clashes with Marafuji as a authority figure. And Absolutely. How, and how having that tension between authority figure and rebellion, rebellious spirit really pushes the narrative and gives these people things to latch onto and gives them things to write about. And that goes obviously doubly for the audience as well. I also love that in this, you get that, like, even though there's that tension and they're at war with each other over these factions and their ideologies, you still have Marfuji just like doing that classic thing. He can't not put Kenta over. Oh yeah, He was stronger than me. Right. Mm-hmm. Marfuji oh, defeated yeah. him, but Kenta is still stronger than him. And I think that's just extraordinary. It's just like, it's so indicative of Marfuji as a person, Marfuji as a wrestler, even in winning and being able to defeat Kenta here, he still views Kenta like Kenta is the ultimate threat at all times. Everything comes down. If he makes one wrong move, Kent is going to defeat him and he feels that way every time they fight and it never matters that even in, at this point in the series Mara Fuji still has more wins than Kenta it doesn't matter you can still feel what we were talking about in part one he was saying that Kenta is the scariest you can still feel that he really does feel this way even even now in 2012 right it's just fascinating I love that Sato ends on Kenta with this image of his eyes looking only ahead, which is this very simple way of just like summing up Kenta as we've described in this entire time, right? Kenta only looks forward. He never looks back. If you think back to what we were just discussing with him walking up the ramp, he rear views Aoki and Marafuji immediately when he realizes that Aoki's not going to come with him. He only looks ahead at the next thing, at the next thing that he can do to get to his goals and like Sato just kind of summed that up so beautifully there and it's just an incredible write-up and yeah I want to note that Sato's language was very like pointedly 
loaded there. It was very simple and very poignant. And so that wasn't a localization. Like that's, that was definitely the image that he was going for. They were going for there was just to um, point out that Kenta is always moving forward, is always looking for revolution. I really like that. We're going to jump ahead again to 2013. Their 14th singles match is easily one of their most important as it takes place in Kenta's first and to date only GHC heavyweight title reign that began in January 2013. The road to the GHC heavy was a long and hard fought one for Kenta, but he finally defeated Takeshi Morishima where it mattered most to step into his destiny. Naturally, there must be a Maru Ken match in this reign and we get it on July 7th in Ariaki Coliseum. Kenta has had three successful defenses against Maybach Taniguchi, Takashi Sugira, and Toru Yano before Marufuji steps up to challenge him. We're finally seeing that role reversal from the October 2006 match with Kenta as the heavyweight champion and Marufuji coming in as the challenger. At this point, Marufuji is still a year away from only his second GHC heavy reign, so there's quite a gap between Marufuji dropping the GHC heavy in December 2006 and his second reign in July 2014. And I'll say too, this is still very much brave and no mercy territory. Takashi Sugira actually defected to no mercy by this point after he lost to Kenta in this reign. So there's a lot of tension going into this match with Marafuji. Yoshihiro Takayama is on commentary for this match. Kenta is still in that blue fang gear, and Marafuji is in the gear that has that amazing robe that connects in the front in the red, black, and gold. They begin the match with their, at this point, patented flurry of strike exchanges that end in a stalemate. A series of control spots end in a stalemate too. You really get the sense that these two just know each other too well at this point. Kenta uses the ropes to jump up into a double foot stomp to Marafuji and transitions into a figure four variation. When they're up, Kenta sends him into the ropes and hits a kitchen sink. Marafuji gets sent to the outside and Kenta does a lot of damage to Marafuji with a stomp, utilizing the barricades and kicks. Kenta lands a diving double knee stomp to Marafuji once again, just continuing to attack Marafuji's core as he's done in the past. Kenta connects with a big front high kick. Then Marafuji gets Kenta on the top rope and drop kicks him to the outside from the opposite top rope. Once outside with him, Marafuji drops Kenta on his head and neck on the ring apron. Marafuji follows up with a pile driver on the apron as well. Marafuji starts to focus on attacking Kenta's head and neck, a strategy we've seen him implement in the past as well. Marafuji also lands some truly nasty chops to Kenta's chest in a chop forearms exchange before Marafuji puts him in a figure four headlock. After a fairly explosive set of exchanges on the outside, Marafuji continues to toy with Kenta's head and neck. Kenta recovers during a strike exchange, but Marafuji escapes, attempts to run the ropes, and is met with a power slam from Kenta. Kenta follows up with a diving lariat and more kicks, but Marafuji capitalizes with his own drop kick to Kenta's face. Kenta goes for the tornado stun gun DDT swan dive missile drop kick combo, but is interrupted by a drop kick from Marafuji. They go to the outside, and Kenta gets dropped over the barricade. Every time Marafuji moves that barricade, people hold their breath, but Kenta gets over the barricade and pulls Marafuji down from the apron. After another set of exchanges, Kenta lands the illest-looking diving double foot stomp to a downed Marafuji on the outside. Once back inside the ring, Kenta lands the swan dive missile drop kick, a corner kick, and another diving double foot stomp. Kenta continues to dominate with a DDT and a lariat that sends Marafuji outside again. Marafuji is finally able to capitalize and hit a Sharanui. As Kenta recovers and Nishinaga counts, the crowd chants for Kenta to get back in the ring. 
Marfuji hits a corner-to-corner drop kick as soon as Kenta gets in the ring, and then he hits two German suplexes on Kenta, followed by a lariat. Like we've seen before, at the near end of their matches, they start throwing explosive strikes at the other and then crashing to the mat afterward. Marafuji hits another Sharanui, but comes up short. Kenta hits a Busai Kuni, and then Marafuji gets him onto the top rope. Marafuji hits the Sharanui Kai, but Kenta kicks out. We're really running back the hits at this point from their rivalry. Kenta gets laid out with another Sharanui kick combo, and Maru hits the pull shift, but Kenta kicks out of those as well. Kenta hits a go to sleep to the back of Maru's head for a two count. They devolve into strike exchanges with Kenta trying to kick Marafuji's head off his shoulders. Another go to sleep, a two count, and then a final go to sleep puts Marafuji away in 36 minutes and 42 seconds for Kenta to retain his GHC heavyweight championship. I liked when you had uh, called it when we were talking earlier, the ghosts of Maru Ken matches past. That that was very much uh, that that final exchange there, and it was extremely good. Like those last uh, few minutes are just extremely exciting. When I first watched it, I was like, "Yeah, this is definitely my favorite match." But now I'm I'm not so sure. But I think it was. I think I was blinded by uh, how incredibly exciting those last few minutes are. The final exchanges are exhilarating, and you get that very rapid run through of their mm-hmm. entire rivalry in that final like six minutes right and it's 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 stunning to watch kenta work through every single one because yep. he has to win here it's and just like a sucker for it it's just like with shiazaki's fourth ghc reign if he had gone the whole way through and he hadn't beaten sagira it changes the entire reign, right? He needed to beat his rival in Segura to solidify mm-hmm. his claim as Noah and, and to really legitimize that fourth GHC heavy reign for himself. If Kenta loses here to Marafuji, it changes the entire tone of winning the GHC heavyweight championship for him. So he has to beat Marafuji here. And that's why that those ending exchanges are so exhilarating. I do think that, and I was saying this to you earlier, I do think as good as this match is, it's it can be six minutes shorter because they do a lot of control <laughs> spots that we've seen them do in other matches that we don't actually necessarily need to see them do here. It's just like a little bit too long, which is weird for me to say. It's just like the pacing of this one is a little off, but I love the storytelling in this one because you can feel like the weight of their history in a way that you you still feel with other matches, but this one... You can feel the weight of this one because it's Kenta's time to defend the GHC heavy. And there's so much meaning in him being able to defend it against Marafuji. And you just get so much history and story in this match. Immediately after the match, Marafuji and Kenta confront each other. And there isn't a great show of respect here like you'd think either. Marafuji removes the GHC heavy from Kenta's shoulder looks at it for a moment and then presses the belt plate first back into Kenta's chest before just walking off. He barely looks at Kenta on his way back up the ramp. This is not a crowning moment between the two. Kenta during the No Mercy and Brave era, as we've just discussed before, was very critical about Marafuji in character. I would speculate that this gesture has a lot to do with what kind of champion Marafuji feels Kenta is in that moment while they're embroiled in that storyline. In beating Marafuji there, Kenta had gained a critical win that solidified his reign, the same type of win as beating Marafuji for the first time when he was GHD Junior Heavyweight Champion in 2006. Yeah, Kenta doesn't try to stop Marafuji from taking that belt and grabbing it to look at it. Like, he doesn't 
make any moves to stop him because he's fully confident he won and that's really all that matters and and you had said that as well is that the win is what mattered the most and he was very secure in himself as champion in that moment because beating Marafuji was everything and that that was a very um telling moment for well for both of them really but it struck me with Kenta this match is their final singles match before Kenta leaves for WWE Kenta participated in a WWE tryout in January 2014, not long after his 343-day GHC heavy reign came to an end on January 5th at Corican Hall in a match against Morishima. He announced his resignation from NOAA in February 2014, and then Kenta had his last match with NOAA on May 17th, which was a tag match with Mara Fuji against Katsuhiko Nakajima and Takashi Sugira. On June 27, 2014, Tokyo Sports reported that Kenta had signed with WWE and an official announcement was made during a WWE live event in Osaka with an in-ring appearance from Kenta along with Hulk Hogan. Kenta left during Noah's rebuilding period post Akiyama, Aoki, Kotaro, Shiyazaki, and Kanemaru leaving for All Japan. This period was a tremendously difficult one for the company that saw those who remained, like Mara Fuji, dealing with dwindling crowd numbers and real concerns about the future of the company. Kenta was able to leave and pursue new dreams with the company's blessing in a way that Mara Fuji was never really going to be able to. We've arrived at the final Mara Ken singles match in their series to date. About five years after Kenta defeated Mara Fuji to retain the GHD Heavyweight Championship, Mara Fuji's 20th anniversary main event at his show called Flight on September 1st, 2018. So much had changed for both of them in those five years. Mara Fuji's second and third GHC heavy reigns had come and gone. Noah is past the always controversial Suzuki Goon New Japan era of the company that really left them in dire straits. Mara Fuji had racked up a few more GHC heavy tag reigns with various teammates and a KOD tag team reign with Harashima and DDT. He'd won Champion Carnival in All Japan and unsuccessfully challenged Kento Miyahara for the Triple Crown. We talk about this extensively in our fourth episode of Kickout on Kenta and the IWGP US Championship, but Kenta's start in WWE's NXT appears promising, but he really did have a tough time from the jump. In the excerpts that Chris Charlton translated from Footprints, Kenta does make note that he wanted to get used to the new ring when he arrived, but he was only allowed to watch people practice for a month while sat next to Finn Balor and Kevin Owens. Something not widely known before Footprints was that he got a concussion during the first NXT taping that he was on and developed the yips, which is defined as a sudden and unexplained loss of ability to execute certain skills in experienced athletes. The yips can come with a wide range of psychological issues and the loss of fine motor skills. Gymnasts call this the twisties, and Simone Biles famously bowed out of one of her 2021 Tokyo Olympics events because she couldn't tell up from down anymore. Kenta suffered from the yips all the way through the 2019 G1. I think most people listening at this point know about his shoulder injury that required two surgeries, his neck injury, and countless other stories of WWE making it very difficult for him to succeed there, some of which you can find in that great thread of translated excerpts from Chris Charlton. I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version of Kenta's time in WWE, but I think it's extremely clear that this experience was not what Kenta envisioned for himself when he left his home promotion in Noah to follow a new dream. There are a lot of fascinating circumstances around flight, including how the venue was booked and why the date was chosen. As Inoue reports in Shoe Pro issue number 1975, first was the venue Ryogoku Kogikan. 
Originally, there was repair work scheduled, and it was difficult to use the building itself during the preparation period for a big sumo tournament that began on September 9th. Under such circumstances, it was only thanks to the efforts of Fujigane Oyakata, formerly Daizen Takahiro, a close friend of Mitsuharu Misawa, they were able to secure the only free date for the venue, September 1st, stating specifically because it was the 20th anniversary of Misawa's valet. That thread of connection with the founder of NOAA, which had been passed down from generation to generation, allowed the first Ryogoku event in five years and nine months to be held. As Marafuji's 20th anniversary in pro wrestling approaches, he needs an opponent fitting for that kind of event and milestone in his career. And of course, it could only ever really be Kenta, which Marafuji also acknowledged. In Heir to the Ark, Marafuji noted that he wanted his opponent to be Kenta, but if it were not possible, he still wanted him to be involved in the event in some way, shape, or form. As he tells it, around WrestleMania time in 2018, Marafuji emailed Kenta and asked him about the match, to which Kenta replied, I want to have a singles match. Marafuji said that the negotiations weren't very smooth at first with Kenta needing to speak to WWE, but according to him, and this is in quotes, it was possible to bring it, meaning the match, to fruition and realize the ambition because of Kenta's passion in persuading WWE. I've always found Kenta's ability to participate in Marafuji's anniversary match so fascinating because WWE does not tend to acknowledge other companies, nor do they let their signed wrestlers work elsewhere or do anything that doesn't benefit them financially. Kenta at the time is also working some rough matches on 205 Live and only wrestling anywhere from one to three times a month. He really has nothing to bargain with. This is so different from where we are today with someone like Shinsuke Nakamura getting permission to come to Noah and fight the great Muda. But that Kenta passionately persuaded people at WWE to let him go home to face Marafuji says so much about the importance of their rivalry and how much he needed this, just as much as Marafuji needed it at that point in time. WWE agreed to the match, but Kenta had to wrestle under his name with them, Hideo Itami, and he couldn't be in group photos. He was formally announced as Marafuji's opponent on June 26th via a video package that Marafuji introduced while in the ring at a NOAA event. Inoue wrote in his article on flight, news of Hideo's big decision took the world by storm. When all the matches on the card were announced on June 26th, the tickets moved at once and finally mobilized the audience of 6,285 people, super no vacancy, announced by the organization. The fateful thread of the Maruken showdown resonated with the heartstrings of the fans. Hideo visited the Noah Dojo the day before the tournament. He felt a little sad that the dojo had moved from different Ariake, which he had been familiar with for a long time. But he practiced in the green ring for the first time in a long while, and confirmed anew his, the feelings for his old home, including the ropes. Before the match, he said, I want to fight well with a sense of celebration. Anyway, also notes, when the two men stood face to face in the green ring, the hall was dominated by a dreamlike nostalgic atmosphere. The feelings of Marafuji and Hideo, who had stowed them away so they would never be opened again, were released all at once in Ryogoku Kogikan, and the best space was realized. The match progressed forward, while reminiscent of a past that never truly fades. Before the match begins, you can hear Kenta listening to the crowd chanting his name and watch him interact with them the way that he used to. And as I've noted before, this is everything to him, perhaps now more than ever. Before flight, he was performing in front of mostly indifferent 205 Live crowds. And when he returns to America post-flight, he'll work once a month to the same reception. But on that night, 
in Ryogoku, the crowd is electric for their returned former GHC heavyweight champion, and they're calling him Kenta, not Hideo Itami. Kenta was in the black and brown shorts he was wearing at the end of his WWE run. Imara Fuji was in the super shiny red and black trousers. All Japan referee Kyohei Wada is refereeing again. They run back their classic series of strike exchanges, and it's like no time has passed at all. There's a series of strike exchanges and control spots to start, and then Kenta hits a kitchen sink and ties up Marafuji in a figure four variation. Kenta gets Marafuji over the top rope and lands a diving double foot stomp. Marafuji lands a drop kick, and then Kenta follows up with a series of his own kicks and then lands some lariats followed by a fisherman's buster. Kenta caught Marafuji in a power slam and transitioned into an STF. They go to the outside after Kenta lands a drop kick to Marafuji, and Kenta makes quick use of the barricades by sending Marafuji into them. Once back inside, Kenta hits a diving lariat, and then Kenta and Marafuji exchange step kicks, which gets a wry little smile out of Kawada on commentary. Kenta misses a corner drop kick, and then Marafuji almost kills both of them with a pile driver on the apron. I hate that spot. It's so brutal. Oh, man. They return to the ring, and Kenta is on the top turnbuckle. Marafuji hits a Shiranui Kai for a two-count. They scream at each other as they connect with lariats and kicks that lay them both out. Once up, Marafuji lands a chop, and Kenta follows him into a corner with a drop kick. Marafuji follows him with a lariat and then a kick to bring Kenta down again. Marafuji lands a Shiranui but comes up short. Marafuji goes for a knee, but Kenta catches his leg and brings him down for a triangle choke, and then he transitions into game over. Marafuji escapes, but Kenta capitalizes again with a Busaku knee. Marafuji lands painful chops to Kenta's chest as Kenta goads him on before returning a lariat. Kenta hits his swan dive missile drop kick before going into his corner kicks. He pauses and holds his hand to his ear for the crowd. Kenta falls up with a diving double foot stomp to Marafuji. Kenta then hits a go to sleep to a massive reaction. Marafuji lands two massive knees to Kenta's face, but Kenta still manages to lock in game over. Kenta hits a sit down power bomb, and then Kenta lights Marafuji up with kicks. Kenta hits another go to sleep, and Marafuji manages to escape as the camera pans to Sugira, watching from the walkout ramp, still shirtless because he didn't bother to even change after his match. He turned around after Kenta and Maru's entrances to watch them from the ramp. Marafuji starts to land all of his signature kicks to Kenta to try to bring him down. He smashes the back of Kenta's head with a knee and then calls for the end. Marafuji defeated Kenta in 34 minutes and 12 seconds with an assisted Emerald Flosion or the Pole Shift Emerald Flosion. Marafuji helps Kenta up. They bow to each other and they share a very nice hug for them, all things considered. Not nearly as weird as the hug that (laughs) Kobashi made Kenta do at final burning. So I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Marafuji thanked Kenta and all the wrestlers who participated in the card that day. He felt guilty asking them to come, which is very typical of Marafuji-san. Yeah, so this this is the match that made me cry. Um, and like full on, not even like teary-eyed. I was I was crying. This match is is really good. It's it's really incredible. First off, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you were talking about with uh, Kenta sort of checking the crowd and uh, listening to them and he actually mentions in the backstages how important that was to him specifically he said um, the feeling of being needed by somebody that's something that he had been looking for and he could find it in this match and you get that sense throughout this whole match of both of them looking for something and trying to find something at this state in their stage in their career and honestly this match is so unique in that way and I can't think of any other match not 
in Noah, like across pro wrestling that is like this. And I had described it to you as a match, as a memory. And, and it is, it's, it's really interesting. And Mara Fuji mentions that in his own backstages that everything came back to him in those 30 minutes that they, he asked, he was asked, um, you know, what sort of things came back to you when you were fighting him? And he just goes, Oh, everything. Absolutely. Every moment that we have shared together came back to me and you can sort of feel that as it's going on. And that's just really interesting and unique to me that I really can't put this match into a genre um, just because the storyline is something that the only the two of them can really tell. And I, I just, like I said, I thought it was just absolutely stunning, but yeah, to that end. And this, this is a really interesting thing is that this match isn't, it's about Marafuji in a lot of ways. And I will mention that in just a second, but the story of the match is about both of them. And that's a very interesting choice for an anniversary match. And you mentioned that too, Alicia is how gracious uh, Marafuji is throughout this match and how evenly paced it is. It's extremely evenly paced. The exchanges are I don't even know if it's necessarily that even like it's interesting because this match is actually I watch this match the least because it makes me cry a lot and it doesn't that this does not come at a great time for either of them like Mm Marafuji has run himself ragged trying to keep Noah afloat he's done a lot in 2018 like he's coming off champion carnival he's coming off of a lot of things um in 2018 he's like it's a, it's a tough time for him. And then it's a, it's an excruciating time for Kenta as well. And it's just a very, that all of that is very tough, but in true Marafuji form, this match is not just about him because nothing can ever just be about him. It's about mm-hmm. Kenta and it's about getting Kenta back to a place where he can have a crowd that is cheering for him, that reacts to the corner drop kicks that pops big for the go to sleep that just knows him and wants him and Kenta really dominates Marafuji for the majority of this match <laughs> like yeah that there, is the there most are definitely some moments and there are definitely some exchanges but yeah there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of of ass beating to uh to use some French there Kenta gets a lot of time in this match to be him and that is a gift that only Naomichi Marafuji would give to someone in his 20th anniversary. And then if you go and you jump ahead to his 25th anniversary, which just occurred in August, what did he do? He flew to New York for the first time in 15 years to let Eddie Kingston pin him because that's just who he is. That's the remarkable thing about Mara Fuji is his generosity, because this was not just about Maru. It was, it was also about Kenta. It's about the both of them, despite the background being, Marafuji's 20th anniversary but it is a, it's a it's a miracle match there it doesn't make any sense that it happened it's just a beautiful testament to the two of them and everything that they mean to each other but everything that they mean to Noah and to the fans and I think that you and I had talked about this earlier but we we discussed how the match is really the match is a question because Noah's in such a weird place and everything is so uncertain and Kenta's career is so uncertain and it's a question of you know can we can we still get back to these things that made us great again 
you know, can we still find that here within each other? And do these things still exist in the same way that they did before? And they find it. It's a tremendous achievement for both of them. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And um, that's also what I had written down and um, to sort of borrow because in a way calls upon this red string of fate that he calls a a green string of fate in this and uh, to borrow that in imagery there it's really all about those bonds and you know testing that that string that had bound them together um, to see if it's still tethered to see if it's severed severed to see if it can be repaired Um, that's like I like I had said earlier the match is a question in a lot of those ways to see if those bonds, um, not just with Marafuji and Kenta, but, you know, with everybody who had attended the show um, to see if those were all still intact. And that's, you know, the the question that had been answered is that this um, whole show was about uh, the bonds that had been created and the things that tie them all together. And that thing is wrestling and uh, wrestling ties them all together. And I think to that end, that is the most beautiful thing you could ask for in an anniversary show, and especially for one Naomichi Marafuji. I think that's exactly who he is, and that's who he's been this entire episode. Um, and the episode before is something we have talked about a lot, is how important those bonds are to him. So I really think that this match sort of speaks perfectly towards both of them, because you also get how important the audience is. Uh, to Kenta that we've talked about throughout the entire um, episode and last episode as well. Kenta really gets to come home and remember who he was. Absolutely. Who he is, you know, who he never really stopped being, but that environment in WWE was really, I think, kind of stifling, stifling and sort of taking that light out of him. And it's not a coincidence that he's not in WWE too much longer Mm -hmm. after this. So for sure. I do want to bring up some more NUA comments because the flight article was truly like one of the more um, beautiful things I think that we've read recently translated from Shupro. He goes on to say, the Maruken relationship has always been one that creates a harmonious feeling without any particular words exchanged. As represented by the return of Hideo, the atmosphere backstage at Marafuji's 20th anniversary event was like a reunion. Although they have all chosen different paths for various reasons and are now scattered, the blank time is quickly filled in when they meet again, even if it has been several years since their last meeting. It is not just a matter of looking back on the past and reminiscing. Some, like Takeshi Morishima, who will return on October 15th, and Kotaro Suzuki, who leads the junior heavyweight fight, provide catalysts for the future. The green thread of fate that Marafuji and Hideo, as well as the entire crew aboard the Ark, possess is an important asset in the world of Japanese wrestling, and it is something that will move the hearts of the fans. Noah still has a lot of power that lies dormant. This was a day that made me realize that once again. It's just really beautiful. It really is. And I love that harmonious relationship they mentioned um, there and that Marafuji and Kenta can communicate without words. And the specific example in a way uses here is that they switch arms when they hold arms up in victory because they realize like, oh no, we're, we're both injured. And so they sort of just uh, silently uh, trade arms there without saying anything at all. And it's such a little detail and it, it speaks to how detailed these writers really are when they're looking at this stuff. But it also speaks to this unspoken 
bond and relationship and how good their communication is. And um, we've talked about that in part one as well. It's, it's just, it's really important to them. In part one, we talk specifically about how these two really don't discuss their matches. They go out for their matches and Mara Fuji never had to worry because Kenta always just sort of knew what to do. And they never had to discuss these things because they could read each other so well and they were moving off of intuition. And I don't know if people realize how rare that sort of connection is between two people in pro wrestling. There's lots of great tag partners. There's lots of great rivals. But to have a partnership where the foundation is that they don't even have to speak to each other to know each other implicitly that is so rare and that is the foundation of Mara Fuji and Kenta and their overarching relationship but also their rivalry so some closing thoughts <laughs> <laughs> Mara Fuji and Kenta changed Noah irrevocably and together kick-started a new era of pro wrestling that wrestlers and fans alike still resonate with and draw from to this day. We said this when we launched part one, but they really are the blueprint for so many modern day feuds. And you can find the moves they innovated in wrestling all over the world. Brian Danielson and I don't actually remember the name of the opponent right now. They just did the upside down slap spot on AEW TV between the release of part one and part two. Keno and Nakajima seem poised to fill the void that Maru Ken as a tag team have left. In their wake, they have a reputation now for having that sort of quiet, harmonious relationship and tag team partnership. And Japanese fans have been talking about this. And it's really lovely to see that and see the excitement around that. And I hope that by listening to these episodes, you might feel motivated to watch Mara Fuji and Kenta's matches together for the very first time or just revisit their series. Their legacies are important to Noah, but so integral to pro wrestling as a whole. On November 28th, 2021, a video package was aired during Noah's Noah the Best show in Yoyogi National Stadium, Gymnasium Number 2, announcing Kenta's return to Noah for their Budokan card on New Year's Day. On December 27th, at Sugira's Purdue show, All Dogs Gather 3 in Corrigan Hall, Kenta appeared in a Noah ring for the first time since flight in 2018 to hype up his appearance at the Budokan, where he would go on to tag with Sugira and Kazushi Sakuraba, take on Masakitamiya, Ushiki Inamura, and Daiki Inaba. While Kenta spoke to Sugira in the ring in Korokin, Marafuji was up in the balcony where he is known to stand now as Misawa once did and watched. He was alone and there was a camera up there with him filming him watching them. Kenta was injured at Wrestle Kingdom a few days after his appearance for Noah at the Budokan, so we'll never know if they had planned to do other things with Kenta in 2022, but Noah certainly wanted to have that footage of Marafuji watching Kenta return for the first time since flight. In recorded video segments on YouTube, Kenta spoke about Marafuji and he snapped right back into their rivalry like no time had passed at all. I fully expect that one day, perhaps sooner rather than later, we'll see the 16th Maruken match and I'll be delighted to see what they have to show us now. Their rivalry, as Inoue so eloquently said, is reminiscent of a past that never truly fades. Thank you all so much, as always, for listening to you and supporting us. We are so, so grateful for all of you. And we appreciate the responses that we got through our Twitter survey that ended last week. We will definitely be talking about them as we start to calendar plan for 2023. If you would like to support our work with a gift, please go to ko-fi.com slash kickout299. 
As always, please don't forget to subscribe to us and give us a five-star review or rating on your preferred podcast platform if you enjoy what you've been hearing. More people can find us when you leave a five-star rating, which helps us out immensely. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at kickout299. And you can find me, Rachel, at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y star. And you can find Alicia at Shiranui Kai with two eyes. And in case you can't find us on Twitter in the future, we do now have a link tree where you can find different ways to keep in touch with us. And that is going to be link L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash kickout 2.99. We always have the blog, kickout299.wordpress.com. You can find all kinds of things there, information about the podcast, things that our contributors put up there. Jessie just started putting her All Japan reviews up on the blog, so please make sure you support her by going there to check those out. And if you have any questions or you'd like to submit some feedback or if you have a pitch for the blog, please go ahead and email us at kickoutat299 at gmail.com. We do have a couple future episodes coming your way on December 6th. We have part two of our I Am Noah, I guess, series, but uh, it's it's going to be a good one. So you definitely want to keep a listen for that one. And then on December 20th, we have our very special year end episode. And we're very excited for you guys to join us on that one as well. Thank you all so much. And we'll talk to you soon.